0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast and radio show that gets our guests talking like they've forgotten they're being recorded using the Power MusicCast to transport us back in time and place. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Kennery. Our guest this week is Jonathan Harrison. Dr. Jonathan Harrison obtained his Ph.D. in sociology from the University of Leicester in the U.K. in 2006 and then migrated to Florida that same year. He's taught as an adjunct instructor since 2012 at Florida Gulf Coast University, Florida Southwestern State University, and Hodges University. Jonathan has written extensively about segregation in Fort Myers and contributed to the WGCU documentary With a Made-Up Mind, which explores the history of voter suppression in southwest Florida His bio says he and his wife are parents of seven cats, so that's where we're going to start. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you.
0: Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. So, um, uh, you have seven cats. I have seven cats, yes. We've accumulated them over the years. Can you name them all quickly? I can name them uh, Harrison, Mouse, Mystic, Ruby, Spike, Mina and velvet. <laughs> yeah, velvet is a Russian blue, yeah.
1: <laughs> nice job. I have to just play a bit of sound from uh, when I talked to Paula Poundstone on Gulf Coast Life. Let's, let's listen to that real quick. Okay. How many cats do you have?
0: Fourteen.
1: How quickly can you name them?
0: Oh, I can name them. Um, let's see. Who do I have? I have Clue. I didn't say it was quick. Uh, uh, Clue, Severus, Hardy, uh, Harrison... Bell, um, let's see, Tonks, Brittle, um, Fez, named after Mrs. Fezziwig, uh, um, ShamWow, (laughs) Uh uh-oh, now I'm getting down to the uh, nitty-gritty.
1: That's Uh, nine, that's nine.
0: Oh, jeez, okay, this is really getting difficult. Uh, Theo, Wednesday, how many am I, 11? That's 11. Uh oh, this is not good. Oh, someone's gonna be so upset with me. Um All right, maybe that's as far as I can go for now. I you know, okay, I, just, well, I I panicked.
1: Thank you for bearing with me on that. When I saw oh, your great. seven cats, I was like I have to hearken oh, back that's great. to you. Um could you imagine having seven more?
0: Um probably yes. Yeah? I think our house is big enough almost for for fourteen. <laughs> but I think the cats themselves would get stressed. Yeah, yeah cats are very territorial and they don't want to share space. Hmm.
2: One um, of the cats I have in my family is named Hardy, so that's nice.
0: Right. I <laughs> yeah, I'm not Yeah, I've never heard that name before for a cat.
1: Oh, uh Dr. Harrison, you're like what on earth am I in for here? Yeah. Um okay, let's get to the
0: actual show. Oh, yes. Uh, I should also tell you the uh, English slang name for mog- for cats is moggies. Yeah, well, explain that. That comes from Maggie. Uh Maggie was a a, a person in folklore who had hair like a cat. And so uh, cats became maggies and then it was transformed into moggies. So it derives from Maggie. Maggie, Moggie, M-O-G-G-I-E. That's the one. Huh. So in the
1: UK, everybody would know what a moggie was. They definitely would. Okay. That's what I learned today. Um, So where did you grow up and how would you describe the musical background of your
0: childhood? I grew up in a town called Barnsley. It's about 200 miles north of London. 35 miles east of Manchester. It was a very traditional coal mining community. Both of my grandfathers were coal miners. Um, the music was mainly just top 40 charts because my, my parents would just play, play top 40 radio. Mm-hmm. We had some records in the house, which I'll talk about, um, but it was mainly top 40 radio. On the other hand, um, being from a mining community we had a band, a colliery brass band. And I still get goosebumps when I hear brass band music, because that's a big part of that culture, Mm. um, the brass band. And I think partly because men were not really supposed to show emotion. It was a culture where men were supposed to suppress their emotions. But when you play music, you can let your emotions out. And I think that's why a lot of contemporaries from that culture, where they took uh, to brass band music. Interesting.
1: Yeah. You are a sociologist deep down, aren't you?
0: I am indeed. I look for for explanations
1: in everything, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: uh, Early musical memory, if you try to crystallize something back, is there something uh, you can dig up?
0: Um, Early musical memory, I think, was coming back from my grandparents uh, on Christmas Day, putting on the radio and... The record playing was Merry Christmas, Everybody by Slade. And that is the record that most British people associate with Christmas. I know in the United States it's Mariah or it's um, Wham. But I think for me, for my generation, it's still Slade huh. as the ultimate Christmas record. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw
1: music performed live that wasn't the brass band? Um,
0: I think it would actually be my first... Yeah, it was actually at school. My my music teacher, he he arranged a concert in the actual school itself. He was very much into the Beatles. And so he played some Beatles, he played uh Stairway to Heaven. So He played on instruments. Yeah, he played Stairway to Heaven, he did. Huh. Amazing. Yeah, he was a guitarist. And so he did the he learned all the chords obviously to Stairway to Heaven and he played that. Hmm. Um I know later in the programme you sometimes ask what Record gets played too often, and that's one of the contenders. (laughs) But it is one of the first pieces that I heard perform live. Fascinating. From a teacher? From a music teacher, yeah. Huh? Did you play instruments? No, I really wish I had, but uh, um, no, I never learned. I I, I regret that very much, because I think if I could play the piano, that would give me a lot of creativity. Do you have brothers or sisters? I have one sister who's a year younger than me. Um, And I have uh, two other sisters by different... Um, mothers, I saw my father's side, uh, my parents got divorced, so I have two sisters. So I have three sisters in total, but only one who has the same biological parents. Understood.
1: No music being played around the house then? If you didn't play, you probably weren't being uh, exposed to it?
0: Not really, no. Just, Just the records my dad bought from his old house. Um, there was one record that, probably the first record that really grabbed me and took something that i took really seriously was a song called eve of destruction by barry maguire and it was came out in 65 and it was a protest song about wars in different parts of the world i didn't know what a protest song was then because i, I was only 8 when i heard it but um i liked the way that the words flew uh, the way that the words were compounded onto each other you know um so the first verse I, I can't sing in tune. Right, the last time I sang in tune was when the midwife slapped my ass. <laughs> that's a little joke there. Uh, and then she slapped my mother. No, that's a, that's a second. That's a second line. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the first verse is, the Eastern world, it is exploding, bullets flaring. Ah, i have to I'll have to do that again. I'm sorry. The Eastern world, it is exploding, rockets flaring. Bullets loading, you're old enough to kill, but not for voting. Say you don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. Now you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction.
1: Well done. Thank you. He had that gravelly voice too, right? I'm trying to hear it in my head. Yeah, he
0: did. And I, I... I might be misremembering this, but I I heard that um, he didn't want to do this song, and so they had to get him drunk to sing it, and it was all in one take because he didn't want to do it. Um, But yeah, Barry Maguire was um, on the folk scene, and uh, the song itself was written by P.F. Sloan, who was a songwriter. But it was really a cash-in single on the anti-war movement. It was the first single that really did that. But it was kind of derived also from Dylan. Dylan had been doing anti-war songs, but Dylan had gone electric by that point. So there's this new generation of folk musicians trying to take over his mantle. And the B-side of the single was actually Masters of War by Dylan, which, which I didn't hear late until I was 14, but it's very much the same sentiment. Um, you know, a really, really powerful um, song against war. And so it made me aware that there is this tradition of um, protest music, And it kind of inspired me to be the person I became later um, anti-establishment, looking for things that go against the grain, music that kicks against power.
1: That's – you know, I was – as you were describing that song and, and discovering it and it being a protest song, I was thinking that that was probably aligning with the person you've turned out to be, the academic interests you have, the writing that you do, stuff like that.
0: I'm absolutely sure that's the case, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that is the case. I mean, there were other songs that came along later and then I started listening to Dylan, all his protest music, and John Lennon, who I'll talk about later. He did, obviously, Give Peace a Chance, Power to the People. All all that range of uh, protest Hmm. was important. Well, let's do your first song. Okay, my first song is uh, Too Nice to Talk To by uh, The Beat. Well, in America, they were the English Beat.
1: I was going to ask. I I found it it was cited in
0: two different ways online. So there was an American group called The Beat. And so when uh, The Beat came to the the States, they um, changed their name to English Beat. Uh, We had a similar thing in England with the spinners because we had a, there's already a group called the spinners in England. So when the spinners. Were they the American spinners? (laughs) Yeah. When the Detroit, when the spinners came, went to America, sorry, went to England, uh, they had to be called the Detroit spinners because there was already a a folk group called the spinners. So it's one of those cases of changing your name as you go across the Atlantic. Um, Yeah. So what was this about? This was about my first crush when I was 13 and just that feeling. So. I know on the podcast you say a song that takes you back to a specific memory, just the first time that this girl looked at me and smiled at me and just my heart going. And But then knowing that she was in a different league and that I'd never be able to really speak to her and never really, which I never really managed to do. So just that shyness. But I think it made me a better person because I did start to work on myself and try myself, try and make myself worthy of dating a girl in that league. Um so it probably helped me in the end. What was her name? I don't want to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would rather not I would rather not say. That's okay, but, but you remember it. I remember it very vividly. Very vividly. Yeah, very vividly,
1: yeah. Um and this song was something that was happening around you at that time like sort of connect those
0: dots. Yeah, it was. Um a very important musical movement in the late 70s was called two tone. And it was music made by bands that had both black and white members. And the reason why that was important was because in 1976, Eric Clapton had made this very racist speech at one of his concerts. And British musicians formed a movement called Rock Against Racism, uh, where they would make make concerts uh, protesting against racism. And one of the gestures, one of the trends that that resulted from was bands with both black and white members. Uh, the most important one was a group that we actually went to see. My wife and I went to see them four years ago, and they were the specials. Um, unfortunately, their lead singer recently passed away, Terry. But that was an amazing gig. We went to see the specials in Atlanta in 2019, um, and that was brilliant. Uh, the English beat were very similar to the specials. They they were influenced by Jamaican music, by ska, which was a Jamaican art form, And they blended ska with punk. Punk was extremely important in England, probably more than America. Um, Punk was important because it blew away uh, what we call the old farts. So the Rolling Stones, Rod Stewart, they're the old farts. Uh, They're really
1: the old farts now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They're they're the old farts now. They were old
1: farts 50 years ago
0: and they're older farts now. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They, they They were dinosaurs, dinosaurs. And punk swept all that away. What punk also did was it allowed independent labels to flourish. And music is always better when you have a lot of independent labels. And so that's what punk did. It unleashed all that energy. And the beat, when you listen to the song, the guitars, the um, saxophone, it's really driving. And there's tons of energy in this music. And it's that blend of ska and punk, which is really brilliant. And, And I loved it and I still do. Uh the police. Yes. I know you like the police. Yes. They had that as well but they weren't signed to they, they were signed to a major label. Right. So they had they had a little bit of um you know opposition from the music press. Uh and Sting was often thought of as being a bit of a prick. Um for whatever <laughs> reason, you know, egomania. But what I love about the police is the drumming. The drumming is brilliant. Yeah. Um on the way here I was listening to uh 80s radio when they played uh, "Wrapped Around My Finger," uh-huh. that's a great song. Um, they also did a protest song called "Invisible Sun," uh-huh. which was about Northern Ireland. Do you, do you familiar with that one? That
1: Absolutely, one? I know yeah. all their "Invisible
0: songs. Sun." <laughs> yeah, "Invisible Sun" was their. It was a very brave single because it was their first release from that album, and it was the first one that they did that didn't go to number. One. They had four number ones. "Invisible Sun" only went to number two. And then I think they did every little thing she does is magic to get back to number one. But that uh, Invisible Sun was a great record. I love that one.
1: Uh, yeah. I, the, they were, as I, you've picked up on, they were the first band that I really like latched onto in the cassette eras of the early to mid-'80s. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: well, let's listen to this, the beat, the English beat, the beat, I it is. Fantastic. The, Thank you so much. Um, and, and imagine you in your first crush from afar. This is Jonathan Harrison's first song today on Three Song Stories. It's Too Nice to Talk To by The Beat from the 1981 album how do you say that? Wapping? happened? What happened? What happened? It's
0: a, it's a shortening of... Uh, yeah, it's a shortening of what happened.
1: You say it. It probably comes out better. What
0: happened? What happened?
1: All right. Let's hear it.
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, uh, having heard the lyrics now, I, I understand the connection to the she who now shall not be named.
0: Right. That's the one.
1: That's the one. When was the last time you listened to
0: that song? Oh, probably six months ago. Yeah? Yeah. I, I do play it a, a couple of times a year, I think. Hmm. Um And sometimes it'll come on in the car anyway, because I listen to 80s. Uh, it's called First Wave. Sirius X, XM, Channel 33, First Wave, <clears throat> 80s indie alternative. And this would be right in that, oh, right in the mi- middle of that. million percent. Huh. Yeah. A very, very creative period in our history, uh, 1979, nineteen eighty because they were all on independent labels and they were um, making something that was very new. Huh.
1: Yeah. Um, so high school, where did you fit into the scene in high school? Um, and well, when you – and you and clarify for me. So you come from a, a small town in yeah. the UK. Does everyone in that town just go to that school or how does that work? Oh, Here no. It's all – you know, we're all – No,
0: we had, um, we had several schools in the area, but it was done by catchment area. So my school, my high school – was served by three villagers children from three villagers went there Um, musically there was a big split between mods and rockers you know you think of mods and rockers as the 60s but I actually grew up in a different mods and rockers phase because in 1977 uh, the jam they became very famous they were a mod group and they loved they modeled themselves on the kinks who were the original mods and then the other group was the rockers um, we had a heavy metal thing going on uh, in Britain at the time with Motorhead and so on. And I think I sided with the rockers, <laughs> but I probably made the wrong choice because I think the, the mod music, the jam and so on, I think that music has survived a lot better. But being 14, I thought, oh, you know, I'm got to be heavy metal because it's more macho. And, you know, I don't want people to think I'm effeminate by listening to the mod stuff. So. So
1: another sociological decision.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Not at the time. But um, yeah, it's just the friends you fall in with. They they were all rockers. And so I I went with that.
1: Did you see any uh, shows while you were in high school or was that uh, not quite yet?
0: No, I didn't. No, no. No, the first gig I went to was the Smiths Hmm. in 1985. And it was a tour called Meat is Murder. I actually became a vegetarian for about two years but then I, because I, of that show? Um, not specifically, but, but certainly because of the band, because I'd been listening to them since 1983, and they, uh, they were vegetarian. Well, Morrissey was, the lead singer. And he made that album, and, and I thought, well, I should go vegetarian, really. But I didn't stick with it, because I, I like bacon too much. So unfortunately... I have to confess.
1: And back then, I'm trying to think, I mean, you would have to have learned that through, like, m- magazines about musicians or something. Because yes. it wasn't like you had an internet or even an MTV yet to that's tell right. you that sort of bad <clears throat> story of a
0: band. Yeah, that's right. Every every week, I subscribed to the New Musical Express, which was a brilliant music paper. It was uh, – the journalists were great writers. And that's how I learned about everybody's – so everyone who was interviewed would say something about their political beliefs. And it was very much a left-wing um, newspaper at the time, a uh, music paper, and so it encouraged uh, radical music. And it was very important at the time because of Thatcherism. Thatcherism was becoming so culturally dominant that we needed an alternative, and the Smiths were saying "f" you, to Thatcherism. So they were they were very important. Were you a good student? Ah, uh, I occasionally. Uh, I it varied on my mood, really. Sometimes I'd work, I'd work really hard and sometimes I wouldn't. Um, when I went to university, I was. Um, but it took a while. It had to be something I was interested in. I'm a very bad student at things that I'm not interested in.
1: I understand that. Yeah. That resonates with me, as they yeah. say. Uh, what did you aspire to be at that time? You know, what did, you, did you go to university for a particular mm-hmm. reason or did you just go mm-hmm. and then kept finding your way?
0: Well, there's a long, it actually goes back further than that because um, when I was 10, I wanted to be an astronomer. And then when I was 16, I wanted to be um, a counselor. So I actually went to university to study psychology, Mm. to be a counselor. But then I did uh, sociology as my minor, and I found that I was enjoying those lectures a lot more, and that they explained a lot more that I was interested in. Um, And so I switched, and then I became a sociologist, Mm. Um, purely on the basis of those lectures. And the reading, it just hooked me in. Where would you go to college? I went to Leicester, University of Leicester. That's um, historically um, one of the oldest sociology departments in Britain. Um, they specialized in sociology of sport, um, race, gender. It's a very progressive place. And I love being there. And I actually went back there to do my PhD. Okay. Yeah, so I did my Uh, Degree on my PhD there.
1: Any musical memories associated with your time at Leicester?
0: Um, Yeah, we went to see uh, the Bundu boys who were um, from Zimbabwe, I think. Uh, So that was my introduction to African music, listening to African music. Um, And a friend of ours at university, he brought brought us this record um, by De La Soul called... um, um, the magic number. What's the magic number? And that was my first exposure to hip hop. First time I really took it seriously. Hmm. So yeah, university. It was it was all about diversity, about about getting a range range of experiences. So I'd go and see a, a movie by Kurosawa called Ran, one of his last movies. It was an opportunity, you know, to to do things that were way outside the mainstream culturally to see different movies, plays, and so on.
1: Um, Did the path you took in terms of being somewhat of a a, a radical or pushing back against the uh, institutions, as you said, is that something that ran in your family, or were you a black sheep?
0: No, I was a black sheep. No, definitely a black sheep. Hmm. Yeah, I just felt um, something wasn't quite right in our society, and um, I wanted to try and find out what that was. Yeah, so I think I was always a black sheep, yeah.
1: Your bio said that you came here pretty much right after you got your PhD. Was that like a direct line, and, and, and why? Why did you do that?
0: Well, my wife wanted to start her own business, and um, that's why we came over. We got an E2 visa, which is an investment visa, um, for running our own business. Um, so it was, her, it was her goal, her dream, to come and have her own business in America.
1: And did you come right here to southwest Florida?
0: Yes, we did. We, we, we had some scouting missions. We, we came on vacation a couple of times and looked at different places. But my wife wanted to run a janitorial business, uh, cleaning, and so Naples was the obvious place. Hmm. As soon as we saw Naples, we said, oh, there's, there's bound to be uh, a big market here for cleaners.
1: So you're a Collier County family.
0: Collier county. The See, I,
1: I live in Lee County, and yeah. I've lived here since I was a, a mm. little kid, and I hardly ever venture south.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's
1: kind of two different, two different wavelengths.
0: Um, yeah, it is. It is, and um, nothing against Carter County. If no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say. Uh, no, I, I, everyone who we've ever met has treated us very kindly. Mm-hmm. Um, Americans generally are very friendly. All my students are very friendly. So in that respect, um, I have nothing against Collier County. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, uh, when did you move here?
0: 2006.
1: 2006. So you've been here since, okay, so about 17 years. Okay, well, we'll get to what you've been doing since you got here in a little bit, but let's do this Beatles song
0: next. Yes. Okay, so um, I didn't really listen to the Beatles until John Lennon was killed. Um my huh. my mother loved the Beatles. She her favorite song was Thank You Girl. Were they too mainstream for you? The Beatles? No, they they, they no no no, they're trying to
1: figure out. I mean you're a, you're like a British guy who've yeah, yeah, been yeah. there during the Beatles.
0: <laughs> no, what happened was um in the 70s the Beatles actually went out of fashion. A lot. Um they they just weren't being played. Hmm. You know, they were seen as um something from the past, not relevant to the present. Hmm. But then when John was killed all their music came back. And um, I I went out and bought Strawberry Fields Forever and it completely blew me away. Um, Not just because it was so brilliantly arranged and the singing, but I think because it was about an outsider. Um, No one I think is in my tree. I think it must be high or low. What that means is uh, I seem to be here stranded, isolated. I'm looking at the world from the outside. And that's how I see sociology. We're looking at the world from the outside. Um, So he's in a tree. He's looking down. And he's kind of outside the world. And he's trying to sing about the world from where he sees it.
1: Hmm. Mm. Um, Did you know, um, you said you didn't really listen to the Beatles because they'd gone out of fashion. Did Mm -hmm. you know that they made music that sounded like that? Or did you really only know their earlier stuff in your, like to you, were the Beatles not... Suddenly, you put this on. It was like, "Holy cow! What is this stuff?"
0: That's exactly correct. Yes, um, I knew about the. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew about that. I did know about "Hey Jude" because um, on the twenty-first anniversary of ITV a Television Company, mm-hmm. they played the uh, appearance of the Beatles on the David Frost show, where they performed "Hey Jude." So I knew that song. That's but that's the only late song that I knew. Hmm. Um, but then I bought. I bought. Um, a compilation of their 67 to 70 material and strawberry fields was the first track on it i think strawberry fields penny lane a day in the life um lucy in the sky with diamonds all fantastic tracks And all by this one band, yeah.
1: And you were like, oh, I've got some catching up to do. I've got some catching up, yeah. It (laughs) took me about
0: five years to get through all their albums.
1: Oh, well, let's listen to it. I haven't listened to this song closely in good headphones for a really long time, so this will be nice. This is Strawberry Fields Forever, a little band called The Beatles from their 1967 album Magical Mystery Tour. It's Dr. Jonathan Harrison's second song on this week's episode of Free Song Stories. This is Biography Through Music. Can you remember where you were when you were listening to that?
0: I think I was at home and it came on um, Breakfast Radio. I'm just thinking, what is that? Yeah, it was, it was completely different from anything on the radio.
1: Huh. Um, you said you spent about five years catching up. How did you catch up? Did you have to go out and like, buy records and stuff? Or, you know, what? I'm trying yeah, to figure out I, um, what that was like the 80s, right? Early Yeah, 80s. I had to
0: save up my pocket money because I was only 14. Um, so once I had enough pocket money, I'd just buy the, like, uh, the next album on my list. And
1: that's how I got up. Um, what did the uh, the the mods and the rockers think of the, you diving back into? the Oh old no, they they
0: um, they thought I was I was stupid. <laughs> they said, "What what's going on?" Yeah, yeah. I think I was the only Beatles fan at school. <clears throat> I never met anyone else at, at school who was into the Beatles. Not till I went to university. Hmm. Met a couple of guys there who were big Beatles fans, and that. That was great. That's such an interesting
1: little look into the Beatles in the UK and a British person. He's like, I yeah. would just assume that you all were just Beatles crazy, but no, I guess no, not. no,
0: no, not, <laughs> not at all. No, no. I think the, I think the Beatles were bigger in the United States um, because you had the uh, the movie. There was a movie made of um, Sergeant Pepper, and there was a, a, an album compilation album. But we we weren't part of that. We we didn't take any interest in that really. Hmm.
1: Mm. I've uh, because of this show. I've because uh, I've never been super into the Beatles, but I've mm. learned a lot about the Beatles and I've listened to a lot of Beatles because of this show. Yes, and I've grown to appreciate them much more just in the past four or five years. Well,
0: that is great. That is great. It's never too too late to learn with the Beatles.
1: I had a guest on the other show I host, a guy named Bob Keeling, um, who wrote a book about the Beatles in Florida. Right. Because when they came here, they did their Ed Sullivan appearance in Mm. New York. Then they flew to Miami, and they did the Ed Sullivan show from Miami the next week. Yes, and they spent more time in Florida, like, I think it was 64, I think, it was, mm. um, than anywhere else in the country. And so yes. he wrote this whole book about, like, mm. uh, the, 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 the cop in Miami who was assigned to be their yep. protection and the hotel stories. And mm. It was really interesting. I should – if you want to read it, I've got a copy of it. Uh,
0: I'll, I'll look for it. Bob Keeling.
1: Bob Keeling. yeah. All right. And have you seen McCartney 321 by chance? No, I haven't.
0: You no. Sh- you should check it out. I should, che- I should check Paul out.
1: Yeah. It um it's not just about Paul, it's really cuz uh, he sits down with Rick Rubin and they've got the master tracks of all these songs ah. and they it's just literally them sitting at a soundboard. Right. And they'll pull up a Strawberry Fields and they'll start isolating all the different tracks and right. you get to really appreciate Excellent. the craft of what ah, they did. Fantastic.
0: Is, is that on um, Netflix? It's or? on Hulu. Hulu. I will have a look. Yeah. Mm.
1: So you do listen to a lot of Beatles? That probably doesn't fall into your yeah, your, do, 80s, yeah. your, your early no. 80s indie punk uh, uh, channel.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, I, I listen to the Beatles a lot, yeah. I'm actually doing research for um, Mark Lewison, who's the biographer of the Beatles. I do little pieces of research for him now and again. Hmm. So that that also keeps me into my Beatles.
1: So since moving here, you've been teaching at FSW... FGCU and Hodges?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm an adjunct, so I, I, I move around. Tell, tell us about what you, what you teach. Uh, I teach Intro to Sociology, um, which is the basics of what sociology is, which is teaching students to understand how we all live in a social context. That social context is shaped by the history of our society. Our opportunities are often limited by the history of the group that we're in. Um, The nature of systemic racism, systemic sexism, although we may not be allowed to teach that much longer. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, If not, then I'll have to reframe it. But yeah, um, how structures and processes that are outside the individual person shape their lives. Yeah,
1: what has it been like for you as somebody who teaches issues around race and systemic racism and things like that? As we've watched, like the CRT boogeyman appear, and mm. and you know legislation literally being passed to try to to keep that kind of stuff from being talked about. If I don't want to be too broad about it,
0: well, I think I just <clears throat> reframe it in a different way, and. um I tell students that they, they, they're free to criticize, they're free to think critically about any theory I present. <clears throat> they don't have to accept any theory I teach them. It's purely giving them a different perspective. So if you imagine that a house has so many windows, throughout their childhood they've been taught to look through certain windows. And I'm just giving them an extra few windows. I say, look at, look at the world through these windows and you might find something interesting there. But there's no compulsion. So there's definitely no, there's definitely no, um, no attempt to um, convert them in any way. You know, the, the accusation that we're we're sort of, um, I forget what the word is, but indoctrinate. The idea that we're trying to indoctrinate them is is, is not correct.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I first, I think, interacted with you. I may have met you once before this, but we did that Zoom call uh, when it was the sort of the first draft of the With a Made Up Mind documentary, which has now been fleshed out out further. Um, You participated in that. It's a WGCU-created doc. It talks about the history of the black vote in southwest Florida. Tell us a little bit about that and about your participation in
0: it. Well, when I came to Florida um, and when I read about the history of racism across America, Florida was often excluded. And and I, I wondered, well, hang on, Florida is in the south. Wouldn't there be some record of of racism here? And there wasn't. That nothing had been written. So I decided I would be the researcher who would break that ground. And so I went to the library in Fort Myers. I read all the uh, news press articles going back. I looked at the deed records. And I was able to piece together how racism evolved in Fort Myers. Um, It was actually, before the railroad came in 1904, there was actually greater tolerance, uh, greater harmony between the white majority and the African-American community than later. After 1904, I think a lot of people came down by train from the traditional um, white supremacist areas. And then they transformed Fort Myers into a white white supremacist town. Um, I did a I did a Gulf Coast Live with John Davis in 2014 on the 90th anniversary of the lynching. Um, also did a work with Evan Dean, NBC Two, on the lynching, uh, uh, trying to get a memorial for the victims. Um, so that's what's all part of what I'm passionate about is um, filling holes. You know, no, noticing a gap in the record and saying that needs to be filled. We need to find out what happened there. Um, and that's basically been my my, my uh, research life since I came here.
1: Have you spent much time at the Southwest Florida Historical Society, that little yellow building on the Alliance for the Arts campus?
0: Um, yes, I think I did. Yeah, I did. I met some friends there. Yeah, there's a, that was, a, we- a
1: wealth of, of old documents yeah. and deeds. And...
0: Yeah. No, no, I do. I do. I do remember that. and And... When I had my paper published, uh, I acknowledged the people who'd who'd helped me there. Yeah, Yeah, there were some brilliant people uh, doing research into cemeteries and uh, deed records and so on. No, fantastic uh, group of
1: people. I was able to dig up some history there. I live in an old house that was built in 1924, and the original person, the guy who built it, was J. Colin English. Did you ever come across that name? Yeah, J. Colin
0: English was the first principal of uh, Dunbar High School. Yeah, he, he helped get
1: Dunbar High School built with the Rosenwald funds that um, uh, yeah. was a, 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 a A group up north that was trying to fund Mm. black schools in the south. Yeah. And uh, Dunbar High School was built two years after my house was built. Right. So I love imagining him sitting around with his friends. Yeah. Dreaming up this new high school, the first black high school between Tampa and Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right there in my little house. It's fantastic, and I was able to find proof of that—that that he built it, and that you know, you know records and addresses, the phone book—not the phone book, the the whatever you called the phone book back.
0: Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yes. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, research been done. <clears throat> the the society has done a lot of interesting research into the background of the uh, origin of the school, also the John Wa- Jones Walker Hospital. Mm. They've also done a lot of great work there.
1: Hmm. So, since you've been here, have you seen much music? Let's get back to the music.
0: <laughs> uh, yes. So, my wife and I um, I'm trying to think of all the people. So, my great musical hero is Brian Wilson, who is the uh, pre- um, leading member of the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. We went to see. We've been to see him about six times. Wow. We saw him perform the whole of Pet Sounds, which is my favorite album. Here in town, like Bar- Barbara um, or something. No. Uh, first of all, in in, in London and then in um sunrise sunrise florida mm-hmm. in the um the casino that that the casino there i can't remember what you call it what's it called
1: yeah i'm not going to be able to help on that one all right no problem yeah so
0: um <laughs> at the um so i went to see we went to see brian um, in sunrise florida hollywood florida and uh, that was great yeah we also saw the band, they did re- They reformed the whole band in 2012 and we saw them as well. Then we went to Chicago in 2015, we saw Stevie Wonder performing Songs in the Key of Life, the whole album. Uh, we saw Chicago on a bill with Earth, Wind and Fire. Uh, Babby Man did um, The Temptations and The Four Tops, What's Left of Them. You know the, 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 Obviously they, they've only got one original member each yeah so those are the those are the main memories yeah musical memories we also saw Elvis Costello in Fort Lauderdale um we've seen Hamilton four times Wow yeah we love Hamilton and um yeah who else did we see um I think that's it unless unless something comes back to me I think that's it but we also went to see um Chinese ballet dancers. There's a there's a Chinese group that comes around. We went to see them in Barbara man as well. So we try and do other art forms.
1: Speaking of Stevie Wonder, yes, you were just in his presence recently. Last week, yes. tell us about the the Tom
0: Joyner Foundation Fantastic Voyage. Okay, so Tom Joyner is a philanthropist. Um, he raises money for historical black colleges and universities. He runs a cruise every year. Um, and he invites various soul artists or hip-hop artists. So this year they had Stevie Wonder, they had the Isley Brothers, Lauren Hill, um, Buster Rhymes. That was amazing. But the thing we enjoyed most, apart from the Stevie concert, was Ship Church. So every morning they had Ship Church with gospel qu- gospel singers from all over America. Absolutely fantastic. And on the fourth morning I was able to address the church. And that was very moving for me, very beautiful.
1: Yeah, the thing you sent me said that it was one of the most impactful moments of your whole life.
0: It is. It is because um, feeling that close to a community of people who are sharing that spiritual moment, no, it's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. Um
1: I, I read you you've got some blogs. Yes you I don't know. just have a blog, you've got some blogs. I, I have several. <laughs> um and I read your your entry on your trip. It was interesting you kind of deconstructed who you know, how Stevie was sounding and yeah. how Lauren Hill wasn't necessarily
0: yeah. that into it. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. She was uh, she was two hours late. Yeah. Mm, oh well. But she has a reputation for being late. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very proud of my blogs. I put a lot of effort into them.
1: Um, is that a cruise you've been on before? Is that part of your routine, or is that a whole um, new thing?
0: <clears throat> no, it was the first time. Absolutely first time.
1: I'm sure we'll go again. Is it an annual thing? Every year, yeah. Huh. Where'd you go? Is it a, place, a cruise that goes somewhere, or is it going to just Yeah, swing? it does. It
0: goes to Grand Cayman and then uh, Jamaica.
1: Cool. Mm. Hmm. Um. Well, are you ready for your third song? Yeah, yeah I certainly am. Speaking of Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. We don't tell a story, or what do you want
0: to do? Yeah, so my wife and I uh, we met in two thousand and one. We decided to get married in two thousand and three. We wanted it to be private. We thought that family might fight if they came there, you know, because we um, because I, my parents are divorced and my wife my wife's parents sometimes it's, it's a little bit um, tense. We thought that it would be better just to get married uh, privately. So we went to Antigua. And we signed a steel band to play um, My Sharia more by Stevie Wonder, which was our song. You know, So when we were bonding, when we were dating, Stevie was a big part of that. And also the stylistics. We love the stylistics. Uh, yeah, so um, we got the brass band to play My, Sh- My Sharia Moore. It was extremely hot, but it was a beautiful experience, yeah. I, I still remember the priest, these things he said, and very, very important about companionship and caring and loyalty and uh, not forgetting the reason why you're here. Mm. Mm. Mm.
1: Did you tell your parents or did you just wait to, you know, did you tell your parents?
0: We did not tell them until afterwards. (laughs) Uh, We visited them and and said, uh, I've got this ring on my finger uh, because I got married. So I think they were a little disappointed, Um, but it was something we felt we had to do um, at the time. That's well, your life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did Stevie play this song? He didn't play that song, no. I've not heard him. He doesn't play anything from before 1970. Very huh. rarely does he play anything before his 70s period.
1: Well, next time you see him, tell him to play the song for you and I wife. I
0: really should, yeah. <laughs>
1: well, let's listen to it. This is uh, Jonathan Heron's... Jonathan Harrison's third and final song here on Three Song Stories. This is My Cherie Amour by Stevie Wonder, released in 1969 on his album of the same name. You ever dance to that with your wife? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you listen to it together often?
0: Quite a lot. Yeah, yeah when we're in the car, we do we do play that song. Still, hmm. I, many of the songs that we love together, yeah. Yeah, when cuz sometimes we drive a long distance, and uh, so we'll play that.
1: Uh, do you have uh, a perfectly aligning musical tastes with your wife, or are there places where you
0: diverge? Um, I think we strongly overlap, um, except uh, I love jazz and classical. She's not a big fan. Um, she likes about some 80s stuff that I don't like. But I would say um, 50% converge, yeah. Hmm. It's not bad. Um, you mentioned Hamilton.
1: Yes. Um, you, have you seen many other – are you into musicals and stuff like that?
0: No, Hamilton's a special one. Yeah. Uh, that's the only one we've I still seen. haven't seen it. No, you've got to go.
1: Even the video. Like, I haven't even watched it. I don't um, know. I have this weird aversion to things that are popular.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Well, I probably wouldn't have gone if my wife hadn't prompted me, but I, I thought it was fantastic.
1: Did you see it while I was here? It's been here, I think, twice now. Or it's um, coming back, maybe. Fort, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. What about movies that are musicals?
0: Not really, no. No? No, I can't really think of anything. I mean, I do like um, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, um, dance routines, but not, not actual mu- musical movies. I don't think so. Hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, you ready for a speed round? Sure. Do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share? Uh, bony, bony, yes. Okay, when was the last time you bought music that you could hold in your hand?
0: That was the fiftieth anniversary edition of Revolver, which was about six months ago. On record? Uh, no, on CD. On CD. Mm-hmm. Do you play records? Do you own records? I do own records, but I don't usually play them now. I usually just go on YouTube. Right. Yeah. It's a bit
1: Something lost in that
0: moment, yeah, the, the ceremony
1: of the record. No, a million yeah. percent. No, I totally agree. And then I say that, and then I've got a record player and some yeah. records, and I haven't put them on forever. I think and tonight no. I'm going to put a record on.
0: Yeah, I think <laughs> there's something, as you say, taking it out of the sleeve. You know, it, yeah, we, 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 we do we do lose out. We do lose out there.
1: Do you do karaoke?
0: No, no. Never? Uh, I did it once when I was very drunk, and and never again.
1: If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter with?
0: Uh, probably, we will rock you, hmm. and Queen. I think that's the that's the go to. Um, you said that people in the UK weren't really into
1: the Beatles. They were into Queen, though, right?
0: Yeah, the Beatles and <laughs> the Beatles and Queen. They're they're the two best selling album artists, I think, of all time. Were
1: you into Queen when Queen was being you know was uh, yeah I bought they, the, no it. I
0: bought their greatest hits album uh, when it came out in 1981, and I did like them. Um, then I went off them and then I think man today I'm kind of coming back to them.
1: Yeah, I, um, I my brother listened to like nothing but Queen in right. the early 80s. Right. And I th- I thought he was crazy. Yes. I mean he listened to nothing but Queen for yeah. years. And yeah. then later in life I was like, "Oh, wow, you really had it right, Joe. They're awesome."
0: <laughs> they are. They they're brilliant. They're really clever at how they put things together. Mm-hmm. Really clever. And uh Freddie, he had a real operatic mind, you know, he, 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 the closest that rock becomes, comes to opera with him, you know, he's like singing. Yeah, he's a, he was an amazing artist.
1: Uh, what's your favorite thing about George Orwell? Orwell
0: is is openness and his
1: honesty. <laughs> Jared's gonna be like, I'm crazy. There's now a reason that's... I there's a reason I asked that, right? Okay. You yeah. listed your hobbies. One of your hobbies is <laughs> George Orwell on your
2: blog page. Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah. Say, that's one of the weirdest questions you've asked on the show.
0: <laughs> no, I like I like George Orwell because he's very very open and honest and he's willing to change his mind because he was originally a pacifist, but then the war broke out in 1939 and he and he supported the war right because he realized that hitler was someone who had to be defeated so he was willing to change you know change his position even if it cost him his friends you know so he was a man of principle george and he was a great writer you know if you want to teach a kid how to write you give him all well yes, he's very clear his prose is really clear and beautiful I went on
1: a really long road trip last year, and I listened to 1984 unabridged all the way through on the way there. Mm. And then I listened to uh, – what's the Huxley book that's often compared to it? Um, <coughs> I'm um, drawing
0: a blank. Which one? Um,
1: well, it's it's the two versions of dystopia. You've got 1984, which is the authoritarian yeah. dystopia, and you've got yeah. the Aldous Huxley book called mm. – which is the make life so pleasant we don't mind version of authoritarianism. Um, is it
0: Brave
2: New World? Brave New World. Uh, Brave New yeah, World. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. That anyway. was coming into
0: my head, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, he also did, um, I think it was Hooksley who did the experiment with LSD. Yep. Yep. Yep, Doors of uh, Perception,
1: I think. Doors of Perception, so okay. around, yep.
0: after which the band was named. Yeah. There you go, Jim Morrison named his band after the Doors of Perception.
1: Another yeah. random question.
0: Ready for this one, Jared? Yeah. What's your favorite, favorite bird? My favorite bird is, oh, it's a lapwing. In, in In the UK, there's a bird called a lapwing, which is really beautiful. That's my favorite. Uh, in, in American birds, probably the roseate spoonbill. Ah, oh. such a beautiful bird.
1: Do you have a bird on your bucket list as a bird watcher that you have not seen with your I, own eyes yet?
0: Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I do. Um, maybe. Um. Maybe seeing an emu in the wild because we're going to, we're going to Australia next year, so I'm hoping we might, we might see an emu in the wild.
1: There was some people out in uh, in sort of the Buckingham area of East Fort Myers that were raising emu because I used to drive I've through there and I would look over and be like, "Oh mm. look, I've heard of there's that." There's a giant bird. Yeah, I've heard of that. That's not really in the wild per se. It's, no, it's no. in the flesh, but not necessarily no, in no, the I don't wild. Think so. um, if you were a cocktail or drink of some kind that represented you, what would it be?
0: Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure.
1: You don't have to have an answer.
0: Okay, I, I won't. I, I was going to say Sex on the Beach, but that's probably not good. I probably shouldn't say that. Well, you did, though. Um, I did. <laughs> um, If you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times? It would be God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. And uh, Paul McCartney's favorite song, yeah, God only
1: knows. Um, what activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most?
0: Um, I think writing. Yeah, yeah. When I'm writing an essay, um, I lose track of time. Then, um, and probably bird watching. When 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 my wife and I go out to watch birds, we don't look at the clock. We just take as long as we need.
1: Hmm. Mm. Um. Song you wish you could hear again for the first time?
0: Um, Tomorrow Never Knows by The Beatles. That was a really transformative song because it was so amazing. The, the, there had never been any, any any song like that before, Tomorrow Never Knows. Just an amazing piece of work.
1: Album you wish you could hear again for the very first time? Um,
0: it would be Pet Sounds by The Beach Boys. Yep.
1: Song besides Led Zeppelin that's the most overplayed song of all time? Or Stairway to Heaven, rather.
0: Um... I think it's Africa by Toto. Absolutely f***ing hate that record. No, it's um it's a piece of f***. It really is. I love this. Oh <laughs> no, it really, And it's had
1: a big resurgence in recent years yeah. too, so you must have
0: just been crawling the walls. <laughs> yeah, it was when we were at university that was our, that was the song that we all agreed was the worst record ever made. Uh and Rosanna <laughs> yeah, I mean, there have been people who defend that song, say so it's a very complex uh, arrangement and you know, time signature and so on. But it's a f- piece of. <laughs> oh, <of laughs> <laughs> uh, let me
1: collect myself here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> any songs you'll avoid listening to for whatever reason, besides?
0: And <laughs> besides, um, besides those, um, no, I don't think so. I don't
1: think I avoid anything. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet in one big collective moment, what would you serve up to them?
0: What would I serve up? Um, probably uh, a Stevie Wonder track, something like Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder because it's about getting, you know, uh, when Stevie did this in on the cruise, He gave this long speech about DeSantis, uh, you know, DeSantis uh, making Florida such a racist uh, state. And um, higher ground is about politicians and they're all scumbags. Um, So I would play that. Hmm. Hmm. Uh,
1: What would your 14-year-old self back there in uh, the UK think Mm think of who you are here today living in the
0: United States? Hating on Toto, <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd think he'd, he, he would he would be very impressed because uh, he would never have imagined that that could happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just amazing to, to go from there to here. Uh, it required a lot of luck, meeting my wife, um, getting a, getting the job I wanted, and uh, yeah, it, it, it the fourteen-year-old me would be amazed that I got there.
1: Mm. Could you imagine ever living back
0: in England? No. No I don't think so because uh, you get used to where you live and um, I think in America you have certain freedoms uh, to move around and um, you have certain freedoms in terms of people are more friendly um in America than England usually uh, you have you can walk into a store and be a lot more relaxed perhaps than, than in England sometimes. So, no, I don't think I would want to go back. Hmm. Mm. And my wife feels the same. Yeah?
1: Yeah. Um, that's good that you guys both agree on that. That could be awkward.
0: <clears throat> it could be very awkward. Yeah.
1: Um, all right. It's time for you to recommend your three people that you'll share well, this with
0: that you think we can get on. I would recommend uh, three of my colleagues in the sociology department uh, because of their cultural diversity and their background. So we have uh, Ian Mej. Who, who's my boss, the head of the sociology faculty. Um, he's Dutch. Um, I would recommend Mary Deweese, uh, who's also in sociology, and Joseph Kudjo, who's uh, from Ghana. So he would have uh, different perspectives.
1: I think that sounds great. And I love that, you know, I've been, I started here as a student in, in 99. Wow. And I started working here in 2003. Right. And there was a time when you couldn't have rattled off the names of three professors that I just didn't even know. Right. And now we're a big enough university that there's just people I don't even know yet. So I want to meet them. So help us do that. I, I shall. I'll send them the link. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. For this week's Parting Tune, we're heading back a year to episode 226 guest Randall Kenneth Jones. He's an author, podcaster, actor, public speaker, and media strategist for the Immokalee Foundation. His first song was Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. It took him back to a pivotal moment in his life in the early 80s when he was a college student in Missouri and doing singing telegrams to make some money. He found out that Miss Benatar, who he described as his obsession, was coming to town to do a concert, so of course he's sent
2: himself to her backstage. Six dozen balloons. My friend Vicky is with me. We go. We're backstage. The curtain comes back, and there she is. Five feet of Binatar perfection. I was dressed as Prince Charming with my purple brocade (laughs) and my 80s uh, stash and my 80s feathered hair. And uh, (laughs) I sang the song, but I sang a new version, a rewritten version of Hit Me With Your Best Shot. So how was it received? She was amazing. Yeah. I put her on one knee because I was Prince charming. She kept saying, oh, I'm going to hurt you. I was like, oh, Pat, you weigh three pounds. Shut up. Sit down. You know, so I'm messing with her. She's messing with me back. I bounce her up and down. I made her sing along with me on the last chorus. But afterwards, they had taken my camera away. And I said, you know, Pat, if, if. We don't get a photo. No one in the kingdom is going to believe Prince Charming was here. The kingdom. The kingdom. (laughs) The camera comes back. We get this glorious photo that I treasure to this day. And I also said, will you please sign a copy? My copy, I brought two copies of the Telegram. Will you sign that? She says to me, so gracious, so kind, so perfect, so wonderful. I will sign yours if you sign mine.
1: We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Keep listening.